Dana Johansson is with us, Stuff's national correspondent specialising in sport. Good morning, Dana. Good morning, Catherine. I was just discussing with Jeremy that 28-22 loss by Samoa to Japan probably brings their tournament to an end, uh, probably, uh, or their quest for the World Cup to an end. Anyway, another darn red card in the mix there, but a great game, Jeremy was assuring me. Most people, however, in this country will be thinking about tomorrow morning uh, because there's a pretty important match on. And, and, you know, what is riding on the All Black Sicily meet-up? We're not going to suggest for a moment we expect them to lose, but what do they need to do for their own sakes and for their fans' sakes, Dana? Yeah, I guess there's, there's a lot at stake in this game and they really need to come out and make a statement after the way uh, they started this tournament. And I guess it's quite rare for the All Blacks to go into um, a game at this stage of the tournament and it being a must win. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of situation that they're placed in after their opening performance against France. So um, yeah, massive, massive, a lot riding on this, I think. Um, a lot of people, you know, looking at history, they might think that Italy, um, you know, there's no chance of Italy challenging the All Blacks here, but um, they're, they're incredibly well coached by Kieran Crowley, and he'll obviously have great insight into the All Blacks style of game. Um, and they'll, they'll give it a crack, he said. Isn't that a great Kiwi phrase <laughs> for how to approach a game? Absolutely. And Italy actually, um, you know, they, they pushed France really close in the Six Nations earlier this year. They beat Wales last year. They beat the Wallabies last year as well, although kind of in light of the Wallabies' recent performances, we <laughs> maybe shouldn't read too much into that. So absolutely, the All Blacks also seem to understand how important it is that they come out and make a statement tomorrow Um They've selected close to what is their best side, um, injuries uh, notwithstanding. Um, so, you know, Sam Whitelock about to break the record in terms of test caps for New Zealand. He's been named on the bench. So that just goes to show that, that you know, they're not taking sentiment into account here. They know this game is important and they need to come out and, and have a, you know, a big bonus point win. Bonus point one day, but also after the, the, the sort of the mucky uh, matches we've seen so far, they need to find a rhythm. They, they need to find a, a style of play that convinces them as well as us. Yes, and I'd also add to that they need to stay out of trouble with the judiciary as well. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen a lot of cards issued and that, you know, Ethan de Groot's now... Um, Obviously, serving out of band, so that's messed up. Messed up their their uh, team naming plans. So, yeah, they they absolutely. There's a lot riding on this game. Australia basically out, right? And uh, look, we've spent a bit of time chewing over that uh, that that result. But let's look forward to what the All Blacks will face then if they get uh, get you know, as one expects, through tomorrow's hurdle. Their potential opponents, depending on how things shake down, are both challenging, right? At this next stage. Yeah, absolutely. The um, yeah, the way the uh, draw was was conducted early uh, meant that there were some really tight pools there. So the um, South Africa Ireland pool, um, they faced each other on Sunday morning um, with Ireland coming out on top. Um, so that looks at, it's most likely that the All Blacks will face Ireland in the quarterfinals if they make it through and. Obviously, Ireland have been in a big, bit of a bogey side for the All Blacks recently. They had that historic uh, Test win in New Zealand last year. Um, so you would imagine that the All Blacks have done a lot of homework on this Irish side in the background. So, But still, very scary, very mm. scary. OK, now Samoa, as we said, are likely on their way out after today's result. Japan and Argentina are now fighting uh, for second place in their pool. They're in England's pool, right? Mm, uh, Japan's yeah. made it to the quarterfinals before. Did they make it to the quarterfinals last time? 
Um, I can't actually. I think they did. Yes, there was the, the, the famous victory over South Africa. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, Isn't that what you love about World Cups? It was just Jeremy saying you get this completely different style. You know, we all know the Northern Hemisphere style and uh, and our predictable opponent styles. But but when we get all these sides together, they're just bringing something different to the table each and every time, including some of these so-called upset wins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um. Yeah, the, the, I guess the, the one benefit of having some of those stacked pools is that there are some pools that are wide open, and that's one of them, Pool D, where um, you, you really had sort of four teams with a genuine shot of making the quarterfinals there um, when you looked at, it, at the sort of um, standings going into it. But yeah, Japan for Japan to make it through will be huge for that country. Uh, now, netball, and it is egg on the face, isn't it? You get up on your soapbox and you have a rant about a team allegedly sending a second-string side to play you, and then you lose to them. Yeah, a little bit awkward, yeah. Um, I mean, you can kind of see where Jenny Wiley was coming from with um, their disappointment over uh, England sort of not signalling early that they plan to bring a development side, because, of course, remembering that when these tours take place, it's New Zealand picking up the tab um, once the team arrives here, so... You know, should they be picking up the tab for a development team? Possibly not. But also, she probably took it a bit too far when she was sort of slagging off the team a little bit and and suggesting that um, they're not going to go so well out here. And then they immediately come out and um, beat the Silver Ferns by one goal, which could have been a lot more, to be honest. They, you know, for a lot of that game, they were trailing by a sort of six or seven goals and just managed to sort of pull it back at the end. They did redeem themselves slightly, um, or more, more than slightly, in Porirua the other night, um, winning by 21 goals. Um, but, yeah, it's still sort of, you know, coming off that fourth-place finish at the World Cup, the, the Silver Ferns really needed to make a statement. Well, what's gone wrong? Because we were celebrating the huge impact of, of Coach Nolene Taurua, uh, her coaching credentials both in Australia and then when she was finally appointed here, um, st- speak for themselves. So why have things gone so off the boil? Yeah, I just think, you know, New Zealand's depth problem is nothing new, but, you know, we're a small country. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we need to get back in that Trans-Tasman League, but um, the Silver Ferns weren't entirely competitive (laughs) when they were playing in the Trans-Tasman League as well. I think what's happened is we've seen massive investment from other countries like England. Um, There's a lot of talk about how their star players have been playing out in Australia and getting that experience, but probably what's gone unnoticed is what they've been doing in their own domestic league and the investment that they've made in that product and it's huge over there that domestic league and we've seen all those players that are out here bar one all play in their domestic league in England Um, so yeah I think what's really disappointing is that when you think back to the late 90s and early noughties New Zealand really led the way in terms of the professionalisation and commercialisation of netball it was like incredibly rare for netball players to get paid and now it just seems like They've completely slipped behind Australia and England in terms of making it a great commercial product. I mean, yeah, it just seems to be like there was a lot of hype and interest in in, in netball in, fran- in those franchise competitions um, sort of a decade ago, but we just don't see that now. We it's saw, a really you know, good point. It's mm-hmm. a huge participation sport, uh, mm-hmm. for, particularly for women. And uh, it also transformed, I can remember the time around a couple of decades ago, maybe Lee Gibbs' time or just a little bit after, where we went from the we went into the one-handed passing, the players were fitter and stronger and ever. I remember watching the likes of um, Mark Foster and others. Just The sport just ramped up. 
and and those events were massive and also they were all broadcast I, I know they're still being broadcast but maybe it's a case again that we're not all sitting around watching telly at the same time for the same event but what you're talking about is something within the system itself the development system itself yeah I was, I was sort of having a, a more in-depth look at England netball and um, they have just been given £22 million by um, Sport England to invest in their game, both at grassroots and at the high performance end as well. Um, And that is just for the next five-year cycle. In the previous decade, they got a lot of money as well because, of of course, they hosted that 2019 World Cup. And over in England, netball's really seen as a way to kind of address that um, gender gap in terms of sports participation, and they're making big inroads there. Um, Again, Australia get a lot of state and federal funding that that Netball New Zealand just don't have. So they really do need to rely on the commercial side of the game to bring money in. And I just don't think they've got a lot of like imagination in in terms of the way to develop it as as a TV product at the moment. Right. Interesting. One of the sports that has grown during this time, another winter sport uh, for women, is uh, football, of course, and it's had its own woes even two or three years ago. Gosh, there was the scrap going on with the chief executive. There were the players, some of the players resigning and refusing to play under a certain coach. uh, And um, it goes to show that when when the effort is focused, how quickly things can change uh, because we saw some wonderful football out of those ferns in this Mm. recent World Cup, uh, even though we didn't get some of the results we wanted. What's happened since? Yeah, so the football ferns have had their first hit out uh, post the FIFA World Cup, and I was really interested to see how they go and whether it was a chance for them to sort of build on. Obviously, there's a little bit of disappointment that they did not make it through to the the round of 16, um, but there were some really promising signs there. So I was, I was really interested to see how they would go against Chile. Um, this past week, they had two games. One was broadcasting on on the on telly for everyone to see. The other one was sort of a more behind closed doors hit out. Um, so yeah, they lost both games unfortunately. But probably of more concern is that in that first um, game, Hannah Wilkinson, their veteran striker, of course, scored that famous goal in the Ferns World Cup opener against Norway. Um, she was red carded in the fifty five minute fifty fifth minute of the first game. In what was uh, a pretty ugly incident, she um, sort of lashed out at, at one of the assistant referees and made, I think, probably unintentional contact as she was sort of wheeling away in, in, in disgust. Um, so this could be quite um, quite bad for the Ferns. They are still waiting to learn what level the incident will be reported as, but it could be a ban of anywhere between 4 and 15 matches, and, it is, and if it is at the the, the latter end of that scale, then um, that would really put Wilkinson in doubt for the, the Olympics next year. Goodness, that would be a biggie, wouldn't it, uh, for mm. her and, and for the team. Uh, and what are your thoughts then? Uh, the league, the Warriors, uh, grand final dream over. We know we've, we've been, we sort of raked over the coals of that <laughs> for, uh, for a while. But, you know, great week for league as well with um, the awards. Uh, and, um, you know, Kiwis featuring prominently, at least in the nominations there and the points there. And uh, still something to look forward to this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got to find, I mean, it's just like the old days, isn't it, when we try to find (laughs) something to look for in in the grand final weekend when the Warriors are out. Um, So um, there are a few Kiwi hopes still alive this weekend, and um, probably one of the names we're most looking for is um, former Seven star Niall Williams-Guthrie, who will be in the NRLW grand final. Of course, she made the decision to to step away from Sevens this year and and, um, go and play for the Gold Coast Titans. 
So they play they play the Knights in the final on Sunday, um, and she's looking to emulate her brother, Sonny Bill Williams, who won a premiership, well, two premierships actually, back in 2004 with the Bulldogs and then 2013 with the Roosters. So I hope she can do it and get some bragging rights in her family. That's uh, that is that is fantastic, and um, you know, uh, is this a, a, again? A, I'm not so familiar with this particular competition, but how big is it in Oz, the women's uh, the women's competition? Yeah, it's really getting there. I think um, probably they were a little bit slow to bring in the women's element of the game, but um, probably pushed into it by the AFL. They uh, the AFL introduced their women's um, competition and. Um, started to make big noise around that, and 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 it just opens it up to to new fans, right? And so the NRL have done the same. Um, it took a bit of a backseat over COVID. The Warriors had a team in in the competition, but had to sort of um, step that right back during COVID and, and focus on um, the men's team. So I think they're hopeful of getting the women's team back in in the competition, if not next year, then twenty twenty five. Dana, thanks so much. Dana Johansson, Stuff's national correspondent, specialising in sport.